Hey everybody and welcome back to the Almighty Podcast. This is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com and as always I am joined by Adam Sims over at the Back Patio Network. This time we are wrapping up uh, another season finale episode for the AMP and this time we were not surprised by the fact that we had to squeeze three episodes into one instead of two into one. So uh, yeah, we did we totally a little bit more it. planning. Yeah, <laughs> we were like, we can't let this happen again because we were totally shocked. Um, but yes, this this week we are covering the last three episodes of season two of My Hero Academia. So we're covering episodes 36, 37, and 38. And we're going to do our best to honor your time by keeping it, you know, around the same amount of time that we usually talk about. So maybe perhaps a little less depth, um, though these episodes do uh, lend themselves to a, a little bit uh, quicker uh summarizing than some of the other episodes do too so shouldn't be missing out on too much for sure i mean for the most part these the first two episodes at least are all combat so they go by pretty quick i mean even when you're watching them they don't feel like you know what 24 minute episodes yeah and i actually thought that the last episode felt the shortest it felt super short but and i think it's because they cut it weird so the because with the last episode they do the intro and the outro with like the credits and they're not actually intro and mm. outros they're part of the episode so it felt like it flowed really well yeah well it it felt super short but hey you know what uh, these two combat heavy episodes were pretty stinking awesome because we continued uh, where we had left off with the students versus teacher uh, kind of final exams going on and we picked back up I think this was a post-credit scene of episode 35 where we see Ochako and Aoyama uh, kind of threatening to be sucked into 13's black hole fingers. Uh, and he asks her, of course, she's like apparently really deep in thought, and he asks her, he chooses that moment. It's totally an appropriate moment uh, to ask somebody if she's crushing on uh, Midoriya. And at the beginning of episode 36, this blush overcomes her and she releases her grip uh, and starts flying towards 13. And she pulls off this awesome battle move where, you know, she kind of has this flashback and she's remembering all of her combat training. And she grabs 13 and slams 13 on the ground. And then Ayuyama lets go and grabs the cuffs and they cuff 13 and they win. It was pretty freaking sweet. It felt too easy, though. Were you shocked by this at all? It just felt super easy. It, it did to some extent, but at the same time, it didn't because we know that she's been training super hard. So, like, it doesn't surprise me that you know, after a week's worth of training, she was in shape to attack somebody that was completely unprepared for an attack. Like, I think 13 is just super used to having it in the bag. You know what I mean? Yeah, but when your power is sucking people towards you, shouldn't you not be surprised when, you know, people come towards you? Well, when you're trying to suck them? <laughs> you're totally right. But you got to remember, at the beginning of episode 38, Ayazawa tells them, like, yeah, all the teachers gave you an out. We just told you we were going to do our hardest, so that way you would be on the edge. Yeah. So, I mean, they weren't really trying their hardest. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really just wrote in my notes, It's a, I just have two lines on this fight, and the last one is, well, that felt real easy. Yeah, just, it was over really quick. Yeah, it was. Plus, I mean... Ayoyama did something, and I don't like to give that guy credit for much, but looking at the camera. Yeah. What did he do? He's the one that put the cuff on her. Oh, really? I didn't even catch that. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure. Now you're making me second-guess myself. Way to go, yeah, Adam. For... <laughs> well, because uh, there's a great scene where Ochako was like, you can call me the mini battle hero. And then that's when I thought she slammed the cuffs on 13, so... I don't remember. Listen, if he was a part, a part of anything successful, I kind of resent him for it. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely my least favorite character. Um, but, the, I mean, it was a good scene. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Did you notice uh, that after this scene, there's the we kind of go back to the behind-the-scenes camera room where I guess you've got, like, Sue, and uh, there was also uh, the nurse. And I feel like Midoriya was there and maybe one or two of the other heroes. And Sue is like, did you notice that something distracted Ochako? And then Sue totally embarrasses her whenever she comes back in the room. Right. Yeah, Midoriya was there because he didn't leave that viewing screen until like seconds before he and Bakugo were supposed to be in the arena. He, yeah, he says right. at some point like, no, I'm going to watch everybody fight because it's just really good to know how you guys perform in battle. And uh, yeah, so Ochako walks in. That's why Ochako got real ups like upset or, or embarrassed is because the subject of that conversation that she had with Ayoyama was standing there and uh, she has a similar reaction to just thinking about that conversation in episode 38 at the mall. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, we go into the next fight, which might have been my favorite one, because it uh, showcases the best villain of the show, Nezu, the principal. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I figured that you were gonna <laughs> you're gonna be excited to talk about this one. I am excited. It was awesome. I mean, so we've got Ashido and Kaminari. Uh, they're going into it. Kind of looks like another industrial zone. And they Kaminari actually kind of makes a joke like Ashido, uh, you probably shouldn't use your powers in here. We don't want to melt the principle, which I thought was pretty funny. And about that time, like the entire city just starts wrecking on them. And Nezu is up in this crane, and we find out that his quirk is. It seems like it's either. I think he causes chain reactions and it gives him the abilities to calculate what's going to happen. So like he hits one building with the crane and can calculate if I hit it just right in the right spot, it's going to cause all of this other devastation. Yeah. And present Mike does that kind of like voiceover thing to talk a little bit about Nezu's quirk. Like he has for pretty much every character on the show. Yeah. I got to say, I love that present Mike is this like third party omniscient narrator for the show. I I love that. It is pretty fun. And, but did you notice who did present Mike's voiceover when it, when his turn came around? No, I guess I didn't pick up on that. I'm pretty sure it was Aizawa. Was it Aizawa? Yeah, I think Aizawa talks about present Mike's quirk. That way, present Mike wasn't talking about present Mike's quirk. I wish it had been present Mike, though. That would have been great. It would have been really funny (laughs) if he was talking about himself in the third person. But I also like the idea that it was Aizawa talking about him because they're they're besties. Because they are besties, that's true. But I also really love the idea that present Mike has a pre-recorded intro for himself that he (laughs) plays every year. So that way, he doesn't have to introduce himself live. Yeah, that is pretty funny. (laughs) But what he says about Nezu is really interesting, especially because of something that I think you said, if it wasn't last week's episode, it was the episode before when we were talking about um, uh, the the filler episode. And you had said, we were talking about the seal man, whose yeah. name is totally Silky. eluding me. Se- yes, Silky. Selky, that's right. Yeah, you can't and forget that. That's awesome. I know. How could I forget that? I did the, I did the research on the, you did the research Irish on the folklore. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so you had said something in the episode about how and I dismissed it totally offhand, so I, I owe you an apology because you were like, I wonder if animals get quirks. And I was like, I just don't think that that's a rational jump to be making because, you know, it's like just because there's, you know, seal men doesn't mean that there aren't also seals. But we find out in this episode through uh, President Mike's kind of voiceover of what's going on that Nezu apparently was an animal that somehow has a quirk that makes him smarter than humans. And he says, he does qualify it. He says that he's a unique being. And he talks about how apparently Nezu was experimented on when he was just an animal. What? It, what yeah. Now, what I've kind got, of animal, we don't know still. I've got in my notes, uh, humans conducted horrible experiments on Nezu. So this is how he gets his vengeance. And that is exactly what the nurse says. Yeah. And so he is canonically an animal who has a quirk, but I suspect because of the, that little qualifier that present Mike says that he's a unique being that he is, he is an outlier. He, he is like the exception to the rule. And I suspect that the, whatever the experiments were that they somehow managed to make him an animal capable of either developing a quirk or receiving a quirk through experimentation. That's what I think might've happened. That's what makes the most sense in my brain anyway. I wonder if he came about with like quirk experimentation because I would think that first quirks appearing there probably was a lot of like underground experimentation going on and it makes me wonder if it was someone trying to inject quirks into animals as like a test unit to see if they could do it for humans you know what I, I mean I bet that it wasn't underground at all I mean think about the way That's animals true. are ex- experimented on in our own society like no, in you're real totally life right. yeah it really reminded me of like Rocket Raccoon from a uh, Marvel Comics uh, or Guardians of the Galaxy for what a lot of people will know him from yeah, yeah, definitely. Just, you know, presumably just a regular old animal uh, that is uh, exceptional and unique because of experimentation. Yeah. But Nezu ends up, he goes crazy. He's like on a caffeine high or something as he's drinking his know. little coffee or tea, the, and it, he just goes bonkers and starts the leveling totally the whole nuts. city. Totally nuts. Poor, poor Amina and Kaminari, they, they failed their practical exam because they run out of time. And they were also the ones, weren't they the ones that uh, were like in last place when it came to the written exams too? Or were, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so they, they're just bringing up the, uh, the rear on everything here. So I kind of get the feeling that they're guys. really good friends too. Uh, well, you know, birds of a feather, I guess. You know, when you're <laughs> when you're the slow bros in the uh, in the class, I guess yeah, so, yeah. you gotta you gotta hang out some. That's true. 
Uh, well, we get to another awesome combination right after this with Coda and Jiro. And it's kind of great because this is the first time we've gotten to see Coda in action. Because up to this point, he's done literally nothing. Like, I think he's been in two scenes, and one of them he was just meditating in the forest, and the other one he was just in the background, I think. Yeah, he was also in the scene where they were coming up with their uh, character names or their hero That's names. Right. But he didn't say anything. No, he wrote it down, but we had no idea what it was, uh, like what uh, what it meant, because he was like, I don't animal handler or something. I can't An- remember. I think it he's the animal petting, animal petting hero. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So, so we find we're, out that we were like, this, what is that? Now we know. Yeah. Now we know. Uh, Cause we find out in this episode that he can talk to animals and control them, I guess he can. And um, before we get t- too far into detail with him, I have, I have a confession to make this. This makes a multiple episode streak where I have had some sort of visual revelation when it comes to characters and their design. Uh, so I think last week I talked about the way that Bakugo's hair is literally an explosion. And maybe the episode before that, I was talking about best genus and just, I don't know. I, I've noticed things about character designs that I'm like, how have I never seen this before? So when it comes to Jiro, I never, ne- never, ever in 36 episodes spans of time had noticed that she has sound waves in her hair. Like it's just like a highlight. Like you would think, it's just the way that the light is hitting her hairdo, and that is what it is. But it's also like like a sound wave, or like a it almost looks like a you know like a heart rate monitor. Yeah, uh, it's blip. it's really cool. And I was like, how have I never seen that? And it jumped out at me when we were watching this scene. I was like, dang it, I am oblivious. Apparently, I I must have been too because when you had asked me about it, I was like, I no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Looked up a picture, and you're totally right. It's a neat little thing. Yeah, I mean, like, there are some of these that were really obvious. Like, I, I mentioned off-air that Kaminari has a lightning bolt in his hair. Duh. Like, it's it's a different color, and it just sticks out really painfully, obviously. But then some of these are a lot more subtle, and I really, really like that. It's definitely, I mean, it kind of goes along with the whole idea that all of their names match some sort of, like, kanji or something that represents their powers and their quirks. I mean, it's, it's really, it's neat how well tied together the appearance and the names and the mythology of all of these characters really are. Yeah, they definitely get cooler the more I pick up on these things that, you know, should have been super obvious from the get-go. But absolutely, here we are, Mike's oblivious. <laughs> so don't worry, I am too, because half the time I don't pick up stuff until you notice it, so... <laughs> Well, so, we got okay. Coda yeah, you and can continue Jiro. with Coda now. Yeah, I was going to say, we got Coda and Jiro, and they are fighting off against present Mike. And it was really neat, because this is the first time we've seen him actually in full combat, because he didn't really help out at USJ. Uh, he was there near the end, but I don't think we actually saw his powers in action. So he's standing out near the exit gate and literally just screaming at them. And from like uh, what appears to be several hundred feet away, they are literally getting decimated by his ear, like by his uh, sound waves. They are so loud and they project his words too. So I don't know if that's a physical manifestation of what he says or if that's just for emphasis. Uh, but I mean, it gets to the point where Jiro and Coda are almost about to start bleeding from their ears. And the, Jiro says something to Koto like, hey, do you have a plan? Because I have no idea what to do. And she mentions getting him to have birds go and attack him. But Koda like hand signs to her that, you know, the birds will run away because of present Mike screaming. And she's like, well, what about bugs? And Koda loses his mind and just runs away. Yeah, apparently he's not too keen on bugs himself, but uh, neither is present Mike, we find out. Right. So we get a scene where uh, Coda has left Jiro behind. She is now bleeding from her ears because present Mike has probably burst your eardrums. And she's like, Coda, please, let's do this. And he has this really cool flashback where his mom's like really proud of him. And they they kind of share a quirk because she has that same kind of like fish face. Like their their heads are kind of shaped like fish is the only way I know how to say it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they, they look alike. I don't know what, how to describe. They look like thumbs to me. Um, kind of, yeah. But yeah, they, they definitely look similar. Well, he has a flashback where his mom is like, well, you know, I'm really proud of you for getting into UA, and you want to be a hero, and that's great. And he realizes that he ran away. He wasn't the hero. And Jiro is actually kind of like kind of getting him to pick it up so he goes over talks these bugs into attacking uh present mike and he actually talks to them and even jiro was like holy cow you talk what i didn't know that <laughs> and he's got this super high-pitched voice like not at all what i was expecting Nah, it doesn't match his body type that's for sure no no not at all uh and so we see present mike like sitting there tapping his feet whistling waiting on these kids and he's like well i guess they're just gonna waste their time and you know fail and these nasty critters crawl up onto his legs i mean it's a swarm of bugs and just drag them into the ground it was great yeah and 
President Mike apparently is an entomophobic individual. Like he is, he is afraid of all things creepy and crawly and most of them sporting six legs or, or more because there were like centipedes and stuff up in there as well. Oh, yeah. He mentions like, uh, he's like, yeah, this is why I'm a city dweller. And his eyes are slowly crawling into the back of his head like he's passing out. Yeah, and he's foaming at the mouth. I mean, they totally <laughs> incapacitate him. It was pretty great. It was great. Uh, it did make me think of something, though. You know, with these kids, like it seemed like President Mike has really good control over his powers. But if he had accidentally caused these kids to like lose their you know, sense of hearing, do you think the nurse would have been able to heal something like that? Lord, I hope so, because we definitely see some greater battle damage than bleeding ears later on in these episodes. That's true, that's true. Well, just another quick thing about President Mike. Uh, during this scene, we get kind of a quick flashback of them talking about his quirk and how it manifested. And apparently, President Mike was born with his quirk, and the first time he cried, it caused his parents and the doctors in the room's ears to bleed. Yeah, and this is the first time I think that we've heard of somebody just being straight up born in, with their quirk, that it didn't manifest you know, in maybe late adolescence or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And another fun thing about President Mike, I think someone on Twitter had told us about this. Apparently his original design was totally different and got scrapped, and we have what we got today. So that's kind of a neat tidbit of information. I'm the one who told you that in a couple weeks ago's Tuesday trivia, actually. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was you. <laughs> It was me. <laughs> Thanks for paying attention. I do pay attention. I thought that was really cool. I'm glad that that was actually us. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, we shift from the present Mike scenario to Hagakure and Shoji versus Snipe, who is... All right, so a second ago you were like, I wonder if they'll be able to restore hearing loss. Snipe is shooting actual bullets at Sho Shoji and Hagakure in this scene. Like, it yeah, is but full get, on violence. It is, but I get the feeling a guy named Snipe doesn't miss as often as he was in this episode. I, I, I'll grant you that, but he wasn't shooting blanks is what I'm I mean, suggesting. just think about when he showed up at USJ, he shot that one guy from like two miles away. Yeah. I'm like, he saying. literally showed the curvature of the earth from how far his shot was. So I can't imagine that he was actually trying in this. No, it, he he just wasn't he wasn't shooting like paint rounds is what I'm no, saying. No, you're totally right. You're right. Um, so they they have an interesting strategy. Uh, so Hagakure ends up stripping down uh, to be totally naked because you know when she's has any kind of clothing on, you can see it, and she disappears obviously. And then Shoji draws Snipe's attention and uh, kind of puts his hands up almost in surrender. And Snipe's like, "Huh, oh, you're giving up that easily." And then all of a sudden, a cuff slaps onto uh, Snipe's hand, uh, placed there by a completely butt-naked Hagakure. And this is this little scene, it doesn't last very long. This little battle doesn't. And when he turns to kind of see where Hagakure must be, his elbow, I guess, bumps Hagakure's boob, like presumably her, her breast, just because of the way that things roll out for the rest of the scene. And it makes this onomatopoeia sound. It's like a bounce or a boing. And then in the uh, in the subtitled version, Snipe says the onomatopoeia. So it like there's a <laughs> there's a bounce sound, and then he goes bounce. And so it's just funny to me that he could apparently like the sound that it, it, it made when his elbow touched her boob was audible, and he repeats it like with a question mark. He's just like bounce. Yeah. Like what would uh, be doing that? <laughs> yeah. And then Hagakure awesome. gets real upset, and uh, so he's fired now. He's gone. There's no way he's hanging around that school. You don't think so? You think that's like automatic firing? Well, in the very least, he's got to travel around to all the neighbors and let them know that he's on the list. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I guess we'll, maybe they'll, they'll show that at the beginning of uh, season three. That'll be yeah. like the first five minutes. Please be scene number one. That would make me <laughs> laugh so hard. I'm well, sorry. I'm a professor at UA. I touched a young lady when I shouldn't have. Yeah, by accident. But, but I still have to tell you all. Yeah, legally She was obligated. invisible. Yeah. I didn't even know she was there. <laughs> yeah. You could just hear him trying to defend himself in court. Right, I couldn't right. see anything. Anyway. Oh, man. Well, we go right into another battle, another showdown between Mineta, Saro, and Midnight. And it's great because we transition from this scene where the nurse is talking about, you know, the students at UA and Midoriya is talking to Achako, I think it is, about how one of the reasons he loves being at UA is that everybody in Class 1A is trying their hardest to be a hero. And then we pan over to this screen where Mineta is bawling like a baby and running away from Midnight. And yeah. even the nurse is like, yeah, everybody except that guy. Yeah, he's running away, and he's upset because Saro had 
succumbed to Midnight's quirk, which her quirk name is Som- Somnambulist, which is just a fancy word for a sleepwalker. Oh, really? I, was, um, I figured you would look that up. I just knew that one. Somnambulism and Somnambulist. Um, I do know a couple things, not much about this show, but some things I got. And uh, he's freaking out because Sarah's head, when he passed out, touched Midnight's boob. And then he's like, you know, so first he's like, oh, you touched her chest. Oh, now your head's on her knee. And he's super upset because he's like, if Sarah hadn't saved me, then I'd be in that position right about now. Yeah. Um, And so he's he's running away from Midnight. Midnight gives chase. And you got some like scenes where there's some inner dialogue with Mineta and he's trying to figure out who he is and what he wants to be. And there's a overarching conversation going on, like you were saying, um, even inside of the little viewing room about people with long term goals and that serving as sufficient motivation. And uh, I think somebody, I think maybe it was Recovery Girl, had said something to the effects of people whose end goal it is to become a hero have no future. Because once they reach that, what's their their further motivator? Right. Um, Yeah, it was definitely definitely the nurse. She said that it was exact things. Like, the people that come to UA just to be a hero always fail. So Mineta is struggling with what his goal is. um, And he talks about how his goal was to be a ladies man to be cool with the ladies. And he starts talking about some of these other heroes, some of the UA students included. And he says, it's not that they're cool because they are heroes, which is, I think is what he initially thought. That's why he's on this hero trajectory. He says that they're heroes because they are cool. And I I like that because it's, it's a parallelism, but at the same time, they use two different definitions of cool. I think on either side of the comma in that sentence, but you get what he's trying to say. Yeah. Um, I liked it a lot too. Did you notice that when he was running away from midnight, he was crying blood? Yeah, yeah. They make they make a um, they make a reference to it. I think at some point somebody's Do like, they? "Oh Lord, yeah, I think so." Or maybe I just wrote that in my notes. I said Mineta is crying blood. Yeah, I wrote that down too, but I don't think anybody addressed it in the English dub. They, I, they might not have in the subtitled. Um, so he, he wanting to be popular with girls is also a goal one can focus on, and that's one that will motivate him beyond just getting his hero license. I'd imagine. Um, and so he, he ends up springing this, we'll say quote unquote, springing a trap on midnight because he says, and we talked about this off air, he says that he planned this all along. We're not sure if that's just him covering his own behind or if he's being honest, which way we like better him having actually planned this out because that fits like he's fine academically and we hadn't really seen him that much in battle. So maybe he is at least this smart. Um, but we also think it would fit his character if he was just like improvising totally and just got lucky a little bit maybe. Um, but he ends up using his sticky balls to secure midnight in her whip to a rock. Uh, and then he's able to, uh, to get out of there. He doesn't stop to pick up Sarah. He just runs through the, the goal himself. Wait, no, he does pick up Sarah. Yeah, no, he picks up Sarah. He does. He picks up Sarah. Yeah, that's right. Um, he he says something that I really liked about this too, because whenever he's he's trying to tell him uh, midnight, like, yeah, I've got a plan. You thought he he says something like, "You really thought I came into this with no plan? I follow all the pervy heroes. I know all of your weaknesses." Yeah, <laughs> I, think I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he he does. I mean, he definitely pushes her buttons and is like, you know, getting her all worked up about her um, what she calls her sadistic side. Yeah, and uh, so he does use it to his advantage. So there is there is at least some credence to the idea that he he did come totally prepared for this. But I I also think that he was totally genuinely disappointed that he wasn't the one uh, nestled on her bosom at the beginning of this battle too. I would agree with that. On his way out of the gate, he says, "Just this once, we'll save the boobs for another day." Does he say that in the English version too? Uh, No, he says something like, Sarah and I will be able to live to see boobies another day. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, we did finally get to see his uh, his finishing move, though, and I got to say I'm disappointed with the name. What was it called? Grape Grape Rush? Grape Rush? Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't even know why it's called Grape Rush. So he used his grape balls to stick to her whip and stick it to the ground and then just rush past her. Like, it's totally an escape move. Yeah, it's on the ten, I guess, but uh, yeah, it was a little, it was a little underwhelming, but hey, it was effective, and that's what he needed. Yeah, it was effective, uh, and that's really leads us right into the end of episode thirty-six and right into thirty-seven. Uh, at the end of thirty-six, we get a quick scene where Ochako is talking to Midoriya and is like, "Hey, you know, isn't your fight up next? Like, shouldn't you be getting ready?" And he's like, "Yeah, I guess so." Uh, and then he—that's when he ducks out. And it starts with uh, Bakugo and Midoriya. They've entered the city, and of course, they're facing All Might. 
And Bakugo has like wants nothing to do with Midoriya. He just starts walking off. And Midoriya's like, come on, man, we got a plan. Like, we, we need a strategy. You know, there's no way we can fight all my we are going to have to run. And Bako wants nothing to do with him. And all he keeps telling him, like, no, I'm gonna blast a smile off that dude's face. Yeah, I mean, they definitely they both have a strategy, but it they couldn't be any more opposite to one another and and ending achievement because Bakugo's like, I'm I'm gonna stand my ground and fight. He's going to learn. And Midoriya's like, no, no, dude. Like, we stand no chance. We have to run. Yeah. Uh, and this is exactly why Aizawa paired them together. Because he knows that they, they're they going to differ on, I mean, just on everything across the board. And it does pretty much stick to that for the majority of this episode, which is just this battle inside of the ring, which is really, really cool. It was. This has been my favorite episode this season. Like, actually, this may be my favorite episode up until now because there's nothing better than seeing two guys like Bakugo and Midoriya fight off against another awesome fighter like All Might. It was pretty cool. This episode had a weird tone um, because it, it feels like a horror episode. Like, imagine being Katsuki or um, Midoriya and having the greatest, strongest hero in the world just completely pummeling you. I mean, he, at one point, he hits Bakugo so hard that Bakugo vomits. Right. Um, and that's right after he slams a, uh, like, gate. It's not a gate. It looks like a, a guardrail onto Midoriya's back and pins him to the ground. Yeah. And, and then imagine being a UA student watching this on the monitors, watching two students just get freaking demolished by All Might. And All Might, is, it doesn't look like he's holding back. Of course he is. But he, he begins this fight by just saying, if you think of this as an example, you're going to be sorry because I am the villain. Yeah. And then and he just starts throwing down and it is devastating. It's hard. It was hard to watch a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It almost was. Yeah. Cause we only see him in this light of being a hero and to watch him just to, like literally destroy two kids. It feels bad. You know, that smile, fact, that's the symbol of peace and justice and hope. It's eerie in this episode because he's oh, just wearing yeah. this thing as he's destroying kids. And again, imagine being a student watching your friends just get the crap kicked out of them by this. I mean, it had to have been scary. They're just watching this going, they're, they're going to die. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. They're going <laughs> to die. Now, I will say what, one of the things I loved about this episode, and I've got to think that, you know, for the English voice actor of All Might, this had to feel like voicing Vegeta again, you know, like just voicing this really mean, powerful, yeah. like I'm going to destroy everything in front of me. That had to have felt kind of like a, a fun callback almost. Yeah. Christopher Sabat. Chris Sabat. Yeah. Yeah, he's got to be one of my favorite animated uh, voice actors. Like, that guy's work is just incredible. He is. He's awesome. It's kind of ingenious what happens here, because Bakugo is trying to find All Might, and All Might is already at the... I think he, they say near the end of the episode that he was halfway at the city mark, so he's halfway from where they start. And he blasts them with this wind blast that goes all the way to the exit. Like, it takes out the entire city automatically. And that's when he flies in and starts attacking. Bakugo completely ignores Midoriya, and he's kind of fighting with All Might. He's, he actually kind of blasts him with a stun grenade, and then he jumps at him. All Might grabs his face, and Bakugo starts blasting with all these like small blasts, like uh, kind of like a minigun blast off, right? Yeah, yeah. So the whole time, Midoriya is like, hey, we need to run. What, do, what the hell are you doing, dude? And it gets to a point where Bakugo is like laying on the ground. All Might has just wrecked him. It is, it is bad. It has gotten to a point where... Bakugo tells All Might that if he has to rely on somebody like Deku to beat him, he will lose. He's okay with losing. Like, he's going to give up. And this just sets Midoriya off. Oh, yeah. So Midoriya comes on this, like, All Might is getting ready to land this giant punch on Bakugo's face, but it's Midoriya who lands it instead. And this, yeah. is, a, this is a really, really great scene, I think, um, because Midoriya gets upset when Bakugo says that he would rather lose. And the reason he gets upset... When, when Bakugo says that, it's because winning is Bakugo's identity. It's his, it's his motivation. And so Midoriya doesn't want Bakugo to quit on himself, especially not at the expense of, of Midoriya or at the cause of Midoriya. Yeah. And so they have like these short little cutback scenes where they're kids again. And you get that uh, idolization again from Midoriya, where he's looking up to Bakugo, who's like staving off fourth graders by himself when he's in first grade and saying things like, you know, all the best 
heroes always win and things like this. And Midoriya says, you're you because you never give up on winning. You've been saying that since we were kids. Right. And I like that. He, I mean, he, Midoriya is upset with Bakugo because Bakugo is quitting kind of on himself. I mean, he's letting... It's it's because of Midoriya, from Bakugo's perspective anyway, but Midoriya sees it as Bakugo saying, this one thing that's been my motivator, I'm willing to lay it down. And Bakugo says, don't don't let that thing that keeps you ticking, that makes you who you are, don't don't sacrifice that thing. Right. And that, that was a really cool moment between the two it, of them. It really was. And I think even All Might was really shocked that Midoriya stepped in and, and hit Bakugo the way he did because he almost, I would say it's at least a 5% smash smashes him in the face, grabs him, and he's like, come on, let's let's go win this. Uh, and I do want to say one quick thing before we move on. All Might is not just physically berating these kids. He is also like emotionally abusing them. He has Bakugo's face grinding into the ground, and he's just taunting him and saying things like, you know, I know why you're angry. You're angry because, you know, Midoriya's better than you because he's got a really cool power. And he even says something like, you know, there's more in life than this. Like, you have so much potential. And he makes the comment that it's much easier to level up when you're a novice, and you've forgotten that. Right. And I, I like I thought that was really, really potent. You know what I mean? That's something that Bakugo needs to hear. Like, yeah, Midoriya has made a lot of progress in a very short amount of time, but that's because he's starting from zero, you know? Yeah, I mean, All Might is teaching. That 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 is the one thing that like if you were stripped those moments where it's like, ah, okay, he's still in the mentor position from this episode entirely. It straight up is a horror movie episode. Yeah, <laughs> like totally. Just, All Might has snapped. <laughs> Somebody needs to call in a bunch of other heroes. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but, be, but because he's uh, he's taking the time and, and still trying, they're trying to make these students better, and All Might is no different here. Um, he needs to present that real threat because of Midoriya. Um, not, not I would, I would argue not because of Bakugo, um, but All Might has to present himself as this real, sincere, honest threat because otherwise Bakugo won't act against him. You mean Midoriya? Yes, sorry, Midoriya. Yeah, Midoriya. Yeah, Midoriya definitely wouldn't. Uh, in fact, we even get to a point that I was going to bring up. So after uh, Midoriya knocks Bakugo out, he, they run off, and he, they're kind of secluded for a few minutes. And Midoriya's like, dude, we got to come up with something. Like, we are not going to be able to face him. And Bakugo slams his fist into the wall and is like, will you shut up for maybe five minutes so I can tell you that the entire time we've been fighting him, I've been collecting information too. Like, one of the things I love about Bakugo is that he is such a tactician. He doesn't need to tell everybody about it, though. Like, right. that's one of the, I don't want to use the word annoying, but that is one of Midoriya's biggest, like, traits. He knows a lot, and he's not afraid to tell people about it. Whereas Bakugo is the one that's like, I'm paying attention, I'm taking notes too, but I don't care to tell you about what I think, you know? Right. He is like the, um, he's like the Rorschach of, of the, uh, of this crew where he's just like, I work alone, you know? That's totally Um, true, yeah. He's never going to be like somebody who's just like, hey, meet my partner, we, we're pro heroes together, or hey, check out my cast of sidekicks. That's never going to be Bakugo unless things change. Right now, he's totally the fly, I fly solo kind of guy. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, Bakugo makes the comment. He's like, you know, you pay so much attention, but did you realize that because of All Might's speed, you're not going to be able to run away from him? Like, the only way we can really do this is if we take him out by one massive attack. And then so they come up to, like, a compromise together. All Might's looking for them. Bakugo dashes out the side of this hallway and is like, well, it's not a hallway. It's like an alleyway. Yeah, it's an alley. And uh, he says, uh, hey, you're going the wrong way, stupid. And he starts attacking All Might. And then he calls for Midoriya, who comes behind All Might and is wearing one of uh, Bakugo's grenade hands, pulls the grenade pin and blasts All Might, like, right in the face. And so All Might falls down. Bakugo immediately takes off, and so does Midoriya. And they're now running. And All Might is like, holy cow, they got me. Like, that's awesome teamwork. That was a really good compromise for an on-the-fly plan. He seems proud of them, you know. Uh, and there's even a great scene here where Midoriya is like, holy cow, I can't believe that Bakugo shoots these things off. Because it like blows him back 10 or 15 feet, and you can tell his his shoulders are hurting from it really badly. Yeah, he complains about some pain in his shoulder. Is this the part where they start drawing blood on All Might? All Might like, is bleeding yeah. from his nose after that, that I, shot from the grenade? He's definitely bleeding a little bit. Yeah, uh, and cool. they This next scene's great, too, because they start to... They get pretty good distance away. Like, they're no longer in sight of All Might. And Midoriya's like, okay, we're almost there. We just got to keep going. You know, I think we might have hurt him. And... Uh, 
Bakugo was like, you idiot, you're the one that says he's unstoppable. Like, why would you think that what we just did took him out? And he goes, you know, I've got this last grenade. I'm going to pull it off on him whenever he shows up and All Might is right there next to him. And it's like, yeah. oh, really? And just destroys the grenade hands. Yeah, that was <laughs> that's my favorite part of this entire fight, to be honest. It's, yeah. I, my notes just say they're running and fighting over whether All Might is knocked out, what to do if he isn't. And then he just slides up between them and it's all like, and then what? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, he's been <laughs> eavesdropping while they've been running. It's really funny. Oh, it's great. And this is the point where he uh, he basically sends uh, Bakugo flying. He grabs Midoriya. As Bakugo's coming back to hit him, he takes Midoriya and slams him into Bakugo. I mean, this is like brutal. You know, this is the same kind of stuff that Frieza was doing to Goku when he was about to die. Yeah. Like, he's not holding back. These kids are getting wrecked. I think this um, is the point, too, where they cut to some of the students watching this on the TV, and they're just like shocked and like pale faced. Yeah. And I mean, they're just like, what are we watching? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, Bakugo ends up doing these like full blasts with no grenade hands at all. And it gets to the point where he is hurting his arms. Like it is physically breaking down bones or something just to distract All Might so that way Midoriya can run. And so he hits All Might with this really big blast, grabs Midoriya and throws him. And as he throws him, he gets pretty close to the exit, but All Might's able to hit Midoriya, and it seems like he almost breaks his back. I mean, between the rail guard and this, Midoriya's like a crumpled piece of paper on the ground. And All Might has Bakugo again just slamming his face into the ground, but Bakugo's not going to give up. And in fact, he tells All Might, I will destroy myself before I accept defeat. Yeah, and going back to that throw when he throws Midoriya, it was just like when Bakugo threw the baseball during their first exam at UA with Aizawa oh, yeah. because he grabs him and then he uses you know the blast out of his hands. He even yells die when he does it, which is He's really like, funny. He's like, die! Yeah. <laughs> and then um, All Might smashes backwards like away from the direction that Midoriya is in to propel himself in Midoriya's uh, direction and they, they collide in the air. And... Um, uh, Bakugo has this awesome line, and it, this is like the most fire line of this entire episode because All Might, I think, had said something, maybe even out loud, about how, or he was very intentional about destroying the other gauntlet that was still on Bakugo. He like busts up the grenade, and Bakugo looks at him and says, "Those gauntlets were so I could use my fact, my max firepower without risk, but I can't beat you without taking risks." And that's when he does that full powered blast out of his hand without that yeah. grenade to absorb the shock. And I was like. Dang, that's freaking awesome. And he just lays All Might out with this thing. There's another awesome moment here where I think uh, All Might like does something. He, he hits Bakugo one way or another, and Bakugo has this internal monologue, and he just says, this man is the most unstoppable force in the world. Like, it's so great because just, I mean, a couple of episodes ago, I felt like we saw Bakugo mouthing off to All Might like he was nothing. Yeah, and he, he definitely regained some respect for All Might here. In the in the subtitled, he refers to him as the highest wall in the world. This is why he's the greatest hero. And he didn't walk into the arena feeling that way. No, he did not. Uh, and so we've got this last scene here of the episode where Midoriya is about to walk out of the exit. He's almost there. He's about to win. And poor Bakugo is just wrecked. He's laying on the ground. In fact, he's gotten to a point now where he's blasting All Might and biting All Might's hands because yeah. he has nothing else to, to live for at this point. I mean, he his sole goal is to make sure Midoriya gets through those those gates. Classic, classic Goku move to just bite the person who you're fighting. Oh, totally. I think Goku totally. bites like 75% of the villains that he ends up fighting in Z. It's yeah. insane. And I'm pretty sure that's a huge callback to Dragon Ball too, where he fights a, or he bites a bunch of the villains there as well. And it was really funny before we started recording, I was, I was trying to Google and see if there was like a comprehensive list of all the villains that Goku had bitten in Dragon Ball Z. And there on a message board, there was a question that was just like, why didn't Goku bite Cell? <laughs> like he was the <laughs> one of the ones that Goku actually didn't bite. And they're like, why didn't he do that? I'm just curious. Yeah. I am kind of <laughs> curious now too, though. So if anyone out there knows, you should tweet us and let us know. Well, the very end of this fight is great because Midoriya decides he's not crossing that finish line without Bakugo. So he goes, I think he goes full power in this. I mean, they don't really say, but he, he powers up to do a full-on punch right at All Might. And he puts on this smile, and we hear this kind of monologue of All Might telling him, you know, whenever you're nervous or scared in a fight, just put on a smile and run at your enemy or something along the lines of that. So Midoriya has this really weird smile. I mean, he just, it, it, it looks really strange, honestly. And he's walking towards All Might, and All Might even mentions, like, what is that face? 
And Midoriya is mouthing, like, please get out of the way, because he doesn't want to have to hit his hero. And he just totally decks All Might, grabs Bakugo, and then crosses the finish line. It was incredible. Yeah, All Might is having this discussion sometime in the, maybe right after this, after he's, like, left sitting in the dust, and and, uh, he begins to steam. And he's like, man, he could have just passed if he had just run through the gate all by himself. But I'm like, that's not how Midoriya rolls. And he wouldn't have been the hero that All Might hoped he would be if he had done that. And he wouldn't have been the hero that All Might saw within Midoriya from the very beginning. I mean, this is part of the reason why, and they show this in like the flashback with the sludge monster uh, sludge monster thing, that this is part of the reason why All Might selected Midoriya to be the ninth recipient of uh, the one for all. Um, and so I was like, man, of course he's going to do this. This is why you picked him. This is exactly why. And he's finally kind of come into his own here in this. And uh, again, All Might accomplished his goal of of drawing aggro from Midoriya in a way that Midoriya just wasn't prepared to do. Like, he had to overcome that hurdle. Even Gran Torino said that during their training. Like, you, you put him on too high a pedestal, and you've got to move past that if you're going to be effective. I kind of feel like Gran Torino knew that Midoriya needed to learn this lesson because otherwise, if someone was to have defeated All Might, I think Midoriya would have almost given up. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. that... He, he sees him as such a high and mighty power that if something was to topple it, he would be like, well, there's no way I can touch it. So he needs to learn that lesson that he can take on All Might too. Yep. I mean, and that's, I think that that goes hand in hand with that discussion that All Might had with Midoriya an episode or two ago when he, he basically said to Midoriya's back or to himself when Midoriya's walking away, like, hey, I might not be by your side for this next thing. And uh, this is a major stepping stone for Midoriya being ready to do whatever he needs to do in that moment. And there's a really cool line. Um, I don't remember if this was Midoriya or All Might who was saying this, but there was kind of a voiceover as they scanned over some of the heroes on this side of uh, their practical exams. And it said, some learned their own weaknesses and moved a step forward. And that was a highlighting Todoroki and Momo. And it said, some were taught what is necessary to be a hero. Some were thwarted by high walls. And uh, that showed Kirishima and Sato. Uh, who yeah, were literally right. stopped by Cementos's high walls. Um, <laughs> and then some learned of their own powerlessness, and they show Mina and uh, Kaminari. And I was just like, oh, man, those guys don't catch a break on all of this. Um, <laughs> they're no, just they don't. Con- they just got called powerless. Um, and then it said some move forward towards a new goal. And I like that. It was like a, I, I almost part of me was like, man, let's just end season two right here. This is a good, that's a good bow on season two. Um, but... Season two does continue, um, and the very end of episode 37 bleeds over into episode 38, so we're just going to talk about this as, as we move along with um, Jump Rope Girl and Hellraiser Boy walking into the uh, League of Villain headquarters and uh, having a conversation with Shigaraki and uh, Kirogiri, and this is uh, pretty much where we end 37 and roll into episode 38, which is called Encounter. Right, and the guy that takes these two new villains to meet Shigaraki and Kiragiri, his name is actually Giron, I believe, like G-I-R-A-N is how it's spelled, mm-hmm. and he was one of the black market villains at the end of the episode that uh, Hero Killer Stain got arrested in, when they were they were those two like uh, uh, black market villains talking. He was one of those villains, I'm pretty sure. He was. They call I- him a broker. Yeah, yeah. He's like, a, I guess, a villain broker of some kind. So he shows up and he introduces these two cats to Shigaraki. And uh, <laughs> Shigaraki is like, who are these guys? Like, what is this wreck that you brought into my like my house or my office, my building, whatever? Like, they, these don't look like villains. And, you know, we see this girl that they even describe her as a high school girl. Uh, and they, you know, Garen is talking about her and he says that she's got like, what, 19 body trails, like all these, you know, dead people that are possibly linked to her and all of her victims have been like bled out entirely. And her name is Toga. Um, she is like this really, I'm going to use the word maniac. I mean, she seems like totally off her rocker. Yeah, she's uh, she, definitely insane. Yeah. She talks about how she like admires Killer Stain and she loves Killer Stain and she wants to kill Killer Stain. Uh, I don't know. She she seems interesting. Uh, she reminds me of like a Harley Quinn esque character, uh, but like over the top Harley Quinn. So in the English, did did she only refer to Stain as Stain or Hero Killer Stain? No, she called him Stainy. Okay, good. I was like yeah. in the subtitle, it that makes it sound even more Harley Quinn esque when she's like, "I want to be Mister Stainy. I want to yeah. kill Mister Stainy." That definitely um, 
makes it sound like Harley Quinn, like you're saying. Yeah, totally. And, you know, the way that she... Have you watched DC's animated movie, uh, The Flashpoint? No. Okay, so it, The Flashpoint's really great. This is going to be a quick tangent, but in the DC universe, it's where uh, The Flash goes back in time, changes something when he comes back to the current time, pat, like the past has changed, so the present is totally different. And in this world, there is a Batman character, but it's not Bruce Wayne, it's his father, and Bruce was the one that died in the series. So his mother um, is the one that becomes Joker, and it's really, really awesome. And she has a sidekick that is called, like, Top or Spinner or something like that. And she's supposed to be like the Joker, but it's the female equivalent. Mm -hmm. And she looks just like Toga, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, like, that was the first thing that came to mind. I was like, that totally looks like... Uh, I, I can't remember if her name is, like, Spin Top or Spinner or something like that. But uh, that's what she reminded me of. So we, we, when, we, when he introduces both of these characters, starting with uh, Himiko Toga, he doesn't say anything about their quirks. And we don't really get... There's a confrontation that takes place in a second where Shigaraki doesn't like them, and so he pounces at them, and there's an opportunity for them, of course, to you know showcase, or at least give us a hint about what their quirks are. We know what Shigaraki's are. We don't know what Toga's is. We don't know this other guy. His name is Dobby. We don't know what his quirk is, but I have the suspicion that Toga's is has to do with something... It has to deal with something with blood because, like you said, it says that she's like implicated or suspected in several deaths by blood loss. And I'm like, well, that gives us a pretty strong indicator of what her quirk might be. And when Shigaraki does jump at her, she does brandish a knife, which I think lends a little bit of um, a little bit of weight to that particular idea as well. But then we we get nothing. We got nothing to go with on Dobby besides his appearance because I think he just tries to throw a punch at Shigaraki. We don't see anything that could give us a possible clue what his quirk is in that particular bit. We don't know anything about him at all besides his name, which you take issue with apparently. Yeah, so they introduce him and it's kind of standoffish because he doesn't even really want to say his name at first. Like even Shigaraki is like, "Well, who do you think you are? Like you're in my house. Introduce yourself, you know?" Like, don't be rude. And this guy says, oh, well, you can call me Dobby. And Shigaraki's like, well, what's your real name? And he goes, well, you'll find out if you ever need to. Like, he's kind of really standoffish. And he even makes a comment like, I'm here to completely delve into Hero Killer Stain's methodology, his ideology. Like, if you guys don't really follow that, then I think I'm wasting my time here. And Shigaraki, that's kind of why they get into this fight. Because he's like, well, who are you to walk into my establishment and insult me, you know? That's when they go on to this fight scene where it's pretty neat. They both go at each other at the same time. Well, I guess all three of them, Toga, Dob, and Shigaraki. And Kurogiri throws up those teleportation portals and like keeps him from actually hurting each other. Uh, but I do take an issue with Dobby's name because now all I can think of is the house elf from Harry Potter. Yeah, see, I would never made that connection. I just wasn't real deep into Harry Potter ever. Yeah, and see, like, I'm re-listening to the books right now, so for me, it's, like, really fresh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But it, it'll be all right. Dobby's not the worst name he could have gotten, I guess. That's I really want to know what his uh, quirk is, because he, he's got an interesting look to him. It looks like he's uh, almost, like, pieced together, like different pieces of flesh. Yeah, I got, I mean, he looks like he's something out of, like, Tim Burton's Nightmare, uh, you know, uh, what's that? Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's what he totally. looks like. Definitely. I, but we got nothing. I have no idea what his quirk is. I, and yeah, I'm just guessing in the dark for, for Toka's, just based on the two lines of dialogue that we've got and a flash of a knife, you know? Um, right. Well, we get the scene where Shigaraki kind of mouths off to Kurogiri, and he's like, what is it with everybody admiring the stained guy? And Kurogiri tells him, like, hey, these guys really aren't that bad. Like, we really need to expand the league. Like, you really should reconsider letting them join. And Shigaraki gets pissed off and just leaves. And there's an interesting scene here where uh, Jiren, or Giren, the guy that is, like, the villain broker, even tells Kurogiri, you know, I don't want to complain about a client, but that guy is way too immature to be running the League of Villains. Right. And I thought that was interesting that even... From an outside perspective, there are people that are like, this guy doesn't need to be running this, you know? Well, and, and that is a callback to the first discussion after the USJ where the teachers referred to Shigaraki as childlike. Right. Um, but at the same time, Kirogiri is like, listen, he, he left because he, he thinks he knows what he needs to do. He just has got to collect himself a little bit. He, so he shows a little bit of self-control, I guess, and walks off. Um, and this is going to lead us into uh, the next the, the, the lion's share of, of what the rest of this episode is going to be, which is a scene at a mall. So we find out just very briefly, very quickly that uh, Aizawa lied 
when he said that if you failed your uh, final exams, you wouldn't be able to go to summer camp. Um, they will have to do some like extra work and it'll be, ex- you know, especially difficult, but everybody gets to go and they all realize that most of them are ill-equipped to spend any measure of time in the woods. So they got to go shopping. They got to get clothes and bug spray and, you know, whatever else it is that they need. Bathing so, suits. Yeah, bathing, bathing suits. suits. That was something that. that Kaminari needed, yeah. yeah. Um, and Mineta yeah. adds that he needs to get some night vision goggles and yeah. <laughs> a lock picking set and a small drill, which I'm like, are, will they not be intense? What does he need this stuff for? Um, well, I'm assuming the lock picking set and the drill okay so i don't know about the lock picking set but i assume the drill was for the showers like he could drill holes into the wall <laughs> like he didn't learn his lesson uh from uh, Dude, the first I time think, i don't think Manetta understands that like most of what he is into is probably not cool you know what i'm saying <laughs> That's like true. i don't think he learned a lesson he just realized that he needs to not get caught <laughs> yeah yeah so the, the 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 mall setup scene is pretty cool it feels very like x-men the animated series oh, the first totally. episode takes place in the mall yeah and um, I also said that it gave me a very Zoolander vibe because they're all like sitting around and they're like, we should go to the mall. And it's, it kind of reminded me of that scene where they're like, orange mocha frappuccinos. And then they like go out <laughs> on the town, you know, that's awesome. only with less gasoline spraying all over people. Um, so they, they end up, they all end up spreading out. Everybody decides that they've got to go in apparently a hundred different directions to get what they need to at this massive um, mall. So Midoriya finds himself by himself. And it is at this time that he's approached by a hooded figure who um, quickly wraps, wraps his arm around Midoriya's shoulders and kind of grabs him uh, around the throat, but keeps one finger off of his throat. And we know who this is, I think, by this time. I think we do. Um, oh, yeah. It's like super obvious. The moment you see him, it, the moment he opens his mouth, I was like, that's Shigaraki. <laughs> yeah. And this is... The scene reminded me of, did you ever um, watch the Dr. Horrible webisodes from Joss Whedon with um, Neil Patrick Harris and Nathan Fillion and all them? No, I didn't, uh, but that's one I've been meaning to check out. So if you <sighs> feel like there's a tieback, I'm going to have to go watch those. Yeah, it's so great. And it's a loose tieback, but it made me think of it anyway, because there's a scene in uh, one of the episodes, I think it's the second one, where Dr. Horrible is in his like regular person garb. You know, He's just a dude out on the town. He's doing laundry at a laundromat. And the girl that he's crushing on makes mention that, you know, she had a date with Captain Hammer, who is Nathan Fillion's character, and that uh, he was going to come over to the uh, to the laundromat. And so Dr. Horrible is just like, oh, crap, I got to go, you know, and he's trying to run out of the building and he bumps right into Captain Hammer. And, you know, because it's a, such a it's just a funny trope um, or, or comedic angle where you know Dr. Horrible definitely knows that this is Captain Hammer and you're like does Captain Hammer know that this dude is Dr. Horrible you know there's this <laughs> scene where you're just like does he know yeah. and then then there's this really great thing where Nathan Thilly and Captain Hammer puts his arm around um uh Dr. Horrible's shoulders and he says something like isn't that right doctor and you're just like oh snap he does know uh, and that's what happens in this scene where like Shigaraki has kind of got his arm around Midoriya and I can't remember what he says. It was something about last time I saw you or, you know, he makes yeah. mention that he, he like reveals himself and it was, I, I was think just he like, says, Oh dude. Yeah. Cause he's going on and on about the, the competition and then hero killer stain. And he's like, yeah, it's really crazy that I bumped into you again. I guess you could say the last time you saw me was at USJ. You know, yeah, that's yeah. when it all clicks. That was it. And it seems like Shigaraki's at, um, He's, he's he has having a bit of an existential crisis here. Um, so he's trying to piece together what it is that sets him apart from Hero Killer Stain. And so there are all these pieces of conversation that take place between them. And, and Shigaraki's like threatening Midoriya. He's like, listen, all I got to do is put this one finger down. He'll st- start disintegrating from the neck. And by the time any pro heroes get here, I'll be able to disintegrate like 20 or 30 other people. Um, and he's he's trying to figure out like... What is it that makes me, what's the difference between me and Stain? And he's, he's talking out loud. He's thinking out loud. So no matter where someone tries to kill someone else for whatever reason, these guys, and he's talking about people, it doesn't matter why somebody kills. These people will just keep on, keep on keeping on. So he's like, what's the point of killing um, without conviction, which is what Stain's thing is. Why would you go through the, the trouble of having a conviction when these people don't respond either way. Uh, and then he's like, in the end, Stain just destroyed the things that he didn't like, which is what I do. So what what's the difference? And Midoriya says that, you know, he could, he doesn't agree with Stain, but he understood Stain. 
but he doesn't agree with or understand uh, Shigaraki. Yeah, he even brings to light, like, whenever I was fighting Stain, Stain saved my life. You know, everything he did, he did because he thought he was making the world a better place. But you just do it because you think it's the next fun thing to do. And he mentions, you know, when Stain lost, he still didn't give up. At the end of the day, right. Stain was standing, and the only reason he stopped was because of something he couldn't control, really. Whereas the moment that Shigaraki thought he was going to lose, he bailed. And he's like, you know, I, don't, I have no respect for that. You, you gave up the second you thought you might lose. Yep, yeah, he really drills Shigaraki on conviction. I mean, yeah. he's like, man, know, the first time things weren't going your way, you, you turned tail and ran. Stain stood up in the face of a number of pro heroes and was ready to stand his ground. And that's, that's conviction. And he's like, if, you know, basically he's like, if I had to say that there was a real big difference between you two, this is definitely going to be a part of that conversation. Yeah, and, the, you know, the thing that creeped me out the most about this is from the moment Shigaraki finds... Midoriya in the mall and up until the the moment where they kind of separate here in just a second he talks to him so calmly and coolly like he talks to him like you and I are talking right now like yeah. they've known each other their whole lives like they're best friends I mean that is like maniacal almost you know just how comfortable he is with talking about these weird issues that he has to this person that he wants dead it's just so strange there's something about it the creep factor with this guy just escalated for me like super super hard well, this scene apparently works for Shigaraki. I mean, he leaves. He feels newly convicted, newly yeah, I mean, motivated, newly inspired. I mean, it still feels very loosely defined and not not well elucidated to me. I've yeah. got a couple of theories. We talked about this before we recorded. Um, well, it's kind of weird because he, he makes this connection. Like, after Midoriya tells him the differences... He's just like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. I, that makes sense. I see that. The, all of my issues are All Might. Like, every single problem that exists is ultimately All Might's fault. Like, he has this really weird, strong jump from I have no conviction to All Might is the root of all of my issues. Yeah. And he says something like, something along the lines of All Might is smiling as if there's no one he can't save. And when he said yeah. that, I wrote down below this in my notes. I said, does Shigaraki hate All Might because he believes that All Might, that, that Shigaraki, rather, is the one person All Might either did not save in the past or he feels like All Might is incapable of saving him now or in the future. And so there's like this piece of resentment there. Uh, yeah, and the whole time there's these weird flashbacks happening. Like, while he's discussing this with Midoriya, there are these quick flashbacks of what I thought was Shigaraki as a kid, like, around a bunch of dead bodies and, like, pools of blood and stuff. So it, I kind of had the same thought. Like, I'm wondering, did All Might not save Shigaraki from somebody, or did he not? You know, what happened there? Like, some, there, we have to eventually find out what's going on with him in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... A lot of what Shigaraki's character is and some of his his quirks, not like his disintegration quirks, but the things that make him Shigaraki, like the scratching on the neck, and he tends to be very shrouded and hidden behind hands and things like this, um, that there's got to be some sort of trauma in there that kind of keeps him withdrawn and almost this drama could even be the, the reason why he tends to be so selfish or... Um, like self-reliant and I don't I'm trying not to overanalyze it because we had we talked before we started recording at length about this I really wish we had clicked record and just gotten all this and just inserted it here because it's really good um, but one of the things that we had talked about was who did who didn't All Might save you know was did was it that All Might didn't save Shigaraki or was it that All Might didn't save people from Shigaraki um, at some pivotal moment in his life. And we spent some time talking about, well, Shigaraki's quirk is a particularly devastating one. Maybe it had a, a you know, a, a poor onset. Like imagine being in Dever for a second and you're a child and you're just sleeping through the night and then all of a sudden your quirk manifests and you burst into flames. Like how traumatic that would be, how devastating that might be to, you know, at least your comforters or whatever. Yeah. For, well, I mean, think about Shigaraki. Like his quirk could have developed when he was going to give his dad a hug, and right. his dad just disintegrates in front of him. You know. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that his his quirk manifested at an inappropriate time, or perhaps it manifested and like at a particularly emotional. Because you know, like we're, when you're kids, you're your kid. They're they're 
things that happened in your life where you tell your parents that you wish they were dead or that you hate them? Like, what if his quirk manifested and he discovered it right before that moment or in that moment and then just in this heat of the moment just wiped his family out and is carrying the weight of that and is resents All Might for walking around as if everything is totally fine, as if he can save everybody when he very clearly didn't, at least from uh, as far as Shigaraki is concerned in his life. And I mean, all of this is conjecture and it's really interesting. I mean, I like the fact that we don't have an answer to this yet. It means that there's more development to come for Shigaraki. Um, and I, I appreciate that. But to, to kind of even emphasize this even further, we kind of shift away from the mall scene and there's a scene where like Midoriya is being spoken to by an investigator and then All Might rolls up and the first thing All Might says to Midoriya is, I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. And from a literary standpoint, that felt to me like they were really emphasizing that particular line of Shigaraki's, that uh, he's smiling as if there's no one he can't save, which makes me think there's something to at least a part of what it is that we were spitballing earlier. And um, But I'm also trying not to read into that too much. Maybe that yeah. was, you know, I don't know. Well to even further that, I mean, right after that scene, there's a moment where, you know, Midoriya has left them all at this point. Just to, so let's catch you guys back up real quick. Uh, the only reason that Midoriya apparently isn't dead, really, in my mind, is that Achako shows up and recognizes that he's kind of stressed out. Right. Otherwise, we have no idea how long uh, Shigaraki would have had Midoriya under his hand like that. So, you know, Shigaraki gets up and leaves. And there's an interesting moment here where Midoriya asks him, hey, what is one for all? What is all for one planning? What what's his end goal? And Shigaraki is like, ah, who knows? But I'll tell you what, you better watch out because next time we see each other, we're gonna have to kill each other. So I'm getting the feeling, man. Like into season three, I bet it's gonna be a big bad showdown between these two. Oh yeah, it's, there's definitely big showdown coming between them. Big showdown coming between All Might and and uh, One for All. Or all, all for, for one. one, all, all for, for one. one. Yeah. See, look, you're poisoning me. You're poisoning oh, me with your bad naming conviction. It's, it's something crazy, man. <laughs> well, they end up filing a police report. The police clear out the mall, but they can't find Shigaraki. And so we end up seeing Midoriya, who is being investigated. Not investigated, but he's talking with Sukuwachi, who is Mid who is All Might's friend. And he's the FBI agent from the last season. Well, even this agent, to, to further the point we're talking about here, is mentioning to Midoriya, like... Once All Might arrives on an emergency scene, he has never failed to save somebody. Yep. And the, the camera pans over to All Might, and he just has this morose face. He's not, he isn't transformed into, like, super buff All Might. He's Jinko Jeans All Might. And he doesn't correct Suki, Su, Su, uh, he doesn't correct his friend. Uh, yeah. and, and it's just kind of weird because <laughs> you totally gave up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm leaving that one in. Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's funny. So he doesn't correct his friend and like he doesn't he just has this look like he feels like his friend is lying about him. There's something about that scene I just don't trust. I don't believe it. All Might has failed at some point in time, I think, and I don't think it's public knowledge. Like I don't think he wants people to know about it. Yeah, but it's I I'm it's a pretty I'm, heavy ending to the season, really. It like is. this last episode it was pretty it was pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, although I mean, we do end with the kitty cat with the bell on his neck. He's he's there at the very end. That's true. So, do you think that's a human with animal quirk or an animal with a human quirk? I I think, like I said, Nezu that he's he's unique. I think that's a human with a kitty cat quirk who just likes to accessorize. <laughs> um, and the the friend to use your uh, vernacular also, I think, at some point tells All Might that he should really consider leaving UA, and, and that's yeah. kind of that's kind of where we end season three. And it's like, oh snap! Um, I don't think he's going to go anywhere before this stuff for uh, All for One comes to a head. But um, no, nah, I don't think so either. But I do think he's going to consider leaving UA because the because his friend mentions like you're going to get these kids hurt, you know, like mm -hmm. you've been around for three months and twice now this is no coincidence, you know? Yep. He's drawn aggro. He's drawn aggro hard and yeah. wherever he goes, danger follows. And that it's, it's, it's good that the detective picks up on that pattern because it ain't exactly a difficult one to discern. Right. And then we get one last scene here and it's pretty creepy. Uh, we see this doctor that's like treating uh, all for one and all for one sitting in this chair and he's all got that gnarly face and the doctor says, wow, you've been really happy, you know, like what's going on? And, and this 
all for one says, well, you know, Shigaraki's finally found his conviction. I'm just waiting for him to seek my help at this point, and I can't wait for him to become my successor. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that dude's creepy. Like, I, I cannot wait to see him in action. Yeah, it's going to be nuts, man. It's going to be nuts. But, hey, you know what? Part of the part of the beauty of us coming into My Hero late is that we don't have to wait. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> we will. I, it, it looks like our production schedule is going to outpace season four. So at some point we're going to be current and doing episodes releasing a little bit closer to um, what what is being released worldwide. Um, but for now, we basically get to shift uh, straight into this with we're, we're instant gratificationists. We get to indulge in instant gratification and just move right into the next thing. But as we mentioned last week and possibly the week before on the Almighty podcast, we are going to take a brief break um, from seasons from episodes and our next episode of the almighty podcast is going to focus on the movie um, that takes place between seasons two and season three the first movie that's already out so we're going to watch that that's what we're going to talk about next week and i think it's called two heroes it is so go find it we're gonna have a special guest star Uh, my wife hannah is actually going to come and uh, check it out and watch it with us and then we're going to all talk about it it's going to be a special episode. Um, just do something a little different before we dive into season three. And yeah. uh, before before we blink, we'll be watching these episodes as they release, and we'll probably have to change the format around just a hair uh, when we get there. But we've got we've got a couple months before we got to figure that out. So Most definitely. Like, and in the meantime, be thinking of what you want to hear from us. Like we want to know what do you guys want to hear in between when we're having to wait on these episodes to release? Because there's definitely going to be several weeks where, you know, we're waiting on episodes to come out. So let us know what you want to hear from us. Yep. Come and talk to us on Twitter and the Discord. Um, be sure to give us a little bit of a signal boost by jumping onto iTunes and giving us a rating. Uh, do anything that you can to spread the word, man. We're 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 still growing pod. The word is getting out slowly. We're growing in our in all of our communities. Um, we definitely want you to be a part of that. And word of mouth is one of the best ways that that uh, we can boost the signal of the AMP. We appreciate all of the signal boosting that you guys have already done for us. Uh, but that's it for this week. See you guys next week for the movie. See you guys next week for the movie. The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at, at backpationet or at Almighty Pod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.